News Hounds from Queen City Nerve is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Welcome back to Queen City Nerve's News Hounds podcast. We are here for episode six. And I'm with my co-host, as usual, Justin LaFrancois. What are you mixing up today for uh, for our tasting pleasures? Uh, we're making a rye whiskey Manhattan with ginger liqueur and Amaro Montenegro. So a little ginger flavor with a bitter botanical bite at the end. I can't wait already. Um, and You're we are going to do... Like it. I, do, I am going to like it. You don't like spirit-forward cocktails. I don't know what that means. Sounds pretentious, <laughs> but I do like whiskey, so... Um, we're going to do things a little differently today. We have two Charlotte reporters in the building, um, and we're going to do a sort of year in review, as I'm sure you know if you clicked on this link, but um, going to look over some of the stories that had a biggest impact in Charlotte this year with, I have Michael Graff, the newly arrived editor at Charlotte Agenda. Um, congrats on the new gig. Thanks. thanks, how, are, thanks. How, are, how are things settling in over there? It's a different pace than the magazine world. Right. Um, a lot of people know him from Charlotte Magazine, <laughs> former editor there, and then contributor for a long time. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, it's definitely a different pace from freelance life, too. Right. When uh, I just work next to my dog all day long. Right. Now I have to go into an office. So <laughs> Your dog is hating it. He hates it. Um, and then we also have Greg LaCour, who residing uh, senior editor at Charlotte Magazine. How's it going? Hey, Ryan. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Always been a, a longtime fan of Greg's and a friend as well. Neighbor. We live right across yeah, the street. Yeah, we, 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 live, we live awfully close to each other right. in, the, uh, in the increasing traffic hellscape of North oh. Davidson Street. Um, so with that set up, I uh, just sort of want to go right into it, I guess. And, and there's a lot going on this year. We're going to cover, for the most part, six main stories, but... Whatever comes up, comes up, and just want to sort of have a conversation. Um, and just let's just jump right into it with what happened right at the beginning of the year, which was new sheriff, newly elected sheriff Gary McFadden took office and within the first 100 days was doing a lot <laughs> and in the news a lot. Um, we already went very much in depth with uh, Sheriff's Office Youth Director Keith Cradle last. Uh, last episode, so we don't have to talk too much about some of the juvenile detention changes and stuff you made. I think the the main story that gained national recogn- uh, na- national attention even was the ending of 287G, which was a, a non-mandatory sort of uh, participation in a program with ICE as far as holding people on detainer uh, at ICE's uh, suggestions, recommendations, and he said, you're going to have to file a, file a warrant like anybody else if you're going to want me to hold him in custody. And that was sort of a, really jumped off in the midst of a lot of raids that were happening in Charlotte and the surrounding areas and st- uh, countrywide even. Um, so it, it just sort of added to the, added to the screaming match. Um, what are your, we can, be, we can be critical because last episode was basically a PR <laughs> episode for McFadden's uh, office. But, I mean, what do you guys think of McFadden? A lot of people have thought that he's sort of a headline grabber and, and wants to be in the news, and that's a lot of what's behind this. But he ran on that campaign of ending 287G, and he, he followed through on it. He, well, he is an attention grabber. Right. He always has been, going back to his days at CMPD. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, and I, I don't think I don't think he would deny that. And uh, but I also think that uh, you've you've got a situation here where it's something that obviously the community wanted, um, and that 287G was. Uh, you know, an, an actual real impediment to law enforcement mm -hmm. uh, for reasons that he went over. It's just like, you know, like it or not, um, you know, Latino folks in Charlotte are members of the community and they're far less likely to cooperate with law enforcement on the ground if they suspect that, you know, coming out of their houses is going to lead to them being deported. Right. Um, what, what you had was something that, I mean, quite honestly, like a lot of stuff that's happening in, in you know, this day and time under this president, I'm not sure I've ever seen a federal law enforcement agency uh, be so openly and deliberately belligerent and, and be, be quite so, most law enforcement agencies at least try to maintain the sort of, uh, the, the stance of, well, we, we, don't, we don't get into the politics of it, we're just doing our jobs and enforcing the law. ICE, in this case, with um, Sheriff McFadden and some of the other newly elected urban African-American sheriffs in North Carolina, was uh, was openly <laughs> belligerent and extremely right. political to a degree that I thought was just kind of Absolutely. astounding, like a war of words, war of words. Yeah, in the uh, in the media. Yeah, it was, and and overtly political. Right, I mean, made no bones about it. Um, so that was that was something that I think when. Um, Gosh, forgive me. The special agent uh, based in Atlanta, mm -hmm. when he did that that news conference at the headquarters in South Charlotte. Yeah, right. gosh, his name Sean uh, Sean Gallagher. Right. Is yes. that it? Yeah. Um, he he was he really came across as almost to me thuggish, right. and uh, and and I think that was absolutely absolutely deliberate, and that's one of the things that I've I've found most chilling about this entire this entire scenario. Right. I don't know what you think, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I, I I live in East Charlotte off of Eastway Drive, and there was uh, there was one morning I went running past the shopping center and got online five minutes later and saw that while I was going past the shopping center, there was somebody pulled over, um, taken mm -hmm. into ICE custody behind the, the QT. Right. Manolo's uh, Bakery said they yeah. lost 70% of business over two business. weeks Yeah, in that February time. And had a uh, he had an employee. Uh, Manolo had a baker in the back who was mm -hmm. uh, was picked up by ICE in May one morning, coming to work. He got out of his car, and um, it was the the, ICE, the the agents weren't necessarily looking for him; they right. were looking for somebody else. Um, but because he didn't have papers at the time, um, it's 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 a complicated matter. I mean, last week I was at uh, I was I saw Gary McFadden giving out. Uh, Handing shovelfuls or you know spoonfuls of turkey and mashed potatoes at this uh, at this East uh, West Charlotte um, at Thanksgiving dinner, right? And here he is, just a you know in in that moment he's just a humble guy with an apron, right? But he's also somebody that I think we can see if, as much as we think this is a political story this year, it's going to be a much bigger political story next year in 2020 with the RNC coming here, right? I think you will. I think we can all. Um, expect Donald Trump to say Gary McFadden's name on stage at the RNC next year. And right. I think it's going to be a huge issue going into the election. I think it will be politicized even more. I'm curious. Um, it's not something I put a lot of thought into, but it's it certainly makes sense when you say that. I'm curious if the raids will step up in this city specifically, in this county specifically, in the lead up to that, in the same way that a lot of cities under in events like this will... Uh, 
clean up, and I say that in air quotes, the streets with uh, with sort of homeless, uh, anti-homeless policies and, and sort of displace them to even elsewhere, push them even further from where the resources are um, in the lead up to events like this, I could definitely see an, another batch, if you will, of raids happening in the city, which I mean, is pure speculation, but it'll be interesting just to see things that things that happen moving forward uh, with RNC coming and, and what federal, what the Trump administration, what hands they have in that. And it's not just Donald Trump. I mean, obviously, Tom Tillis is making it a huge issue now, mm-hmm. too. Um, so, I mean, he's our he's our senator. And I think it's it's they have determined that this is an issue that they can they can run on and win on, I think, in, in the Republican Party. And as, as sad as it is to just reduce it to political terms, um, because these are people's lives and and um, we're not talking about them like that. But that's how it that's how it will play out in a presidential election year in a swing right. state of North Carolina. Absolutely. And, and beyond, too, I think uh, one of the things I, I want to say, David Graham uh, wrote a story specifically about the uh, the phenomenon of, of sheriffs in North Carolina and kind of this new breed of, of sheriff, urban African-American sheriffs who took over uh, and were, were elected last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of how interesting it is that it, it has set up this kind of pitting local, locally elected law enforcement officials versus federal law enforcement officials. And this continuing kind of uh, separation of urban areas from everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And, and almost like, you know, it, it, it's been, been law enforcement agencies, even different ones at federal, state, local levels, rarely openly go at each other. Right. And we're, we're seeing that shift. And so it, it could be you know, a, a kind of a new dynamic that could could hold for however long. Right. This may be this may be some kind of new normal. Well, I think it's, it was one of my funny one of the funniest stories of the entire year to me was when he set up that speed trap on Jaton Road in Cornelius. <laughs> just because, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's so funny. Just because it wouldn't have been a big deal if CMPD did that. Um, you know, it's one of those things they were setting up a lot of roadblocks in East Charlotte, and people are like, "Why are you doing this?" So then they responded by going a little bit in South End or. Or some of the drinking areas. I think it would matter if CMPD did that because it's out of their jurisdiction. Oh yeah, so. it absolutely <laughs> would. But um, just the fact that Mecklenburg Sheriff's Office does not pull people over usually, even at all. I just thought that was the funniest troll, and the the Cornelius commissioners took the bait and had him come up to a meeting. Just thought that was hilarious. He is. Uh, he's very good at uh, at getting press. Right. He is. Uh, he's, a and he's been that way. Uh, yeah. He's a politician. He's been that way ever since. Like Greg said, with these days with CMPD. Right. I mean, yeah. And speaking of CMPD, I I wondered deep down what Kerr Putney really thinks about it. people. People asked right. him about it, and Kerr was like, "Well, they, you know, more the merrier. Join right. the party." I'm like, uh, "Come on, Kerr." Yeah. <laughs> well, I know Kerr has definitely got some problems with him, just on separate issues like. Just bail reform and, and things like that. But yeah, um, one of the re- really interesting things about this one is that McFadden, I think, got like fifty-two percent of the vote or something like that in that primary, mm-hmm. and ran exclusively on this issue. And it was wide. We widely talked about it in Charlotte as an issue that we understood that it it, it hurt to have immigrants who were not helping. Um, and not cooperating with law enforcement. This was mm-hmm. something Kerr Putney has said. This is something that we've talked about in Charlotte for years. And so I think it was, it, to me, it, it does speak to that, that, that gap between urban and rural areas. I right. mean, it just, it's, it's, 
it's the conversation that we had in Charlotte that was widely ex- accepted, um, and it's very clearly not widely accepted in areas outside of Charlotte. Right, absolutely. I could just imagine some of the... I used oh, to, even just shortly outside of Charlotte. Yeah, I was just about to say, I used A to be throw. editor at Union County Weekly, and I could just imagine <laughs> some of the stuff they'd say about Obama at council meetings at some of those towns. Just imagine what their thoughts are on this. Because um, I always said, you know, those towns... It's not even Republican, Democrat. It's just all Republican, and it's either development or let's remain rural. <laughs> um, so moving on, I think uh, you just mentioned as Tom Tillis being our representative will segue nicely into a, a more of a timely uh, issue that's actually been going on for years, which has to do with the new congressional maps. Um, and this has sort of been a battle that, like I said, it's just it seems to be never-ending, and, and it seems... Now, when you talk about it, like it just makes perfect sense why you'd look at some of those districts in our former map that we've been using, and they just look so ridiculous, like snakes just crawling down from urban area to urban area. Um, And there's a good point in the fact that people said, you know, when Democrats were in power, how that seems like a lifetime ago now, (laughs) that uh, (laughs) they were they were drawing maps to their uh, in their opportune in way as well, and it's just. But now it it seems like it would make sense that you have to have a fair district. But some of these people are just openly saying, you know, this is not the way we want to operate. The David Lewis has a famous quote about saying, you know, I want to draw a district that's eleven Republicans and two Democrats because I don't know how to do or something along those lines. Three, I, 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 I did it. I did it. Uh, ten Republicans, three Democrats because I couldn't do eleven two. Yeah, exactly. And and he's just open about that, and it just points to something that's a just a. As we see this country become more divided on the, along the political lines, is that something that you guys feel like is as strong as maybe it, or is it just something that happens in the Twitter sphere when you look at how every single thing is now all about what side of the aisle you're on? Is that something that's exaggerating on social media or in your experience reporting on these sort of things? Is it really that divided? Wow. Uh, what a question. Isn't <laughs> yeah. that divided? I mean, I think we have gotten to a system where uh, we've seen that um, primaries in a lot of places, when you have these, these districts that are guaranteed Democrat or guaranteed Republican, the primaries are the most important elections in those districts. And that leads to having the farthest left or the farthest right person come out of that, because those are the people who vote in primaries. So what you end up having are the people who wind up representing you are the farthest right and the farthest left, because primaries bring that out in people. If we had more competitive elections, I think we would have more, uh, we would see more candidates who are who are closer to a middle, but um, right. I, I, that's just from the politics side of things, right. I think. But, um, are regular people as divided as... I mean, I mean, I yeah. That's a that's a very uh, ex- what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, that's a very broad question that could be yeah. an entire different different podcast. Well, a few yeah. people I've I've been kind of surprised uh, in when I bring this up. Just in you know, a couple of times we've had like what the, the old discuss CLT conversations, or mm-hmm. just talking to people in general. How how people's awareness of just what gerrymandering is seems to have at least here really really risen in the last mm-hmm. 10 years and for good reason right um, here it breaks down like this uh, if if the Democrats can retake or regain a majority in either the House or Senate or both um, this coming year 2020 uh, that will determine the whole ball game because it's a census year 
right. they redraw the lines every 10 years according to the census. Uh, if they can, then then we'll see. If they can't, we're looking at another 10 years, much like this past 10 years right. uh, on the state on the legislative side of things. Um, and ultimately, Jeff Jackson, uh, you know, from here, who has been really, I think, one of the most eloquent and smart and forceful speakers, specifically on gerrymandering, um, maybe in the country, right? Um, has long pushed for the establishment of a, of a bipartisan independent redistricting commission, and I think that is going to have to be the way that it goes, mm-hmm. because you know, as you said. Democrats have gerrymandered before too. The difference right. is that in 2010, uh, mapping technology had had evolved to the point where you could you could subdivide lots, right? You know where you couldn't really before. And the Republicans in 2010 uh, gerrymandered to a degree that had never been seen before because they could. Um, so I think ultimately, <laughs> either way, it's going to have to lead to the establishment of some sort of redistricting commission like they have in other states, right. or we'll just swing back and forth in perpetuity. Yeah, because I guess the big question is, like you said, bipartisan. That's obviously you know putting together a commission that's six and six or four, however many people uh, split down the middle, because there is no real such thing as apolitical. Um, no matter, you couldn't put together a thing unless you use technology to do it. Um, there is no such thing as, especially nowadays. I mean, it seems like. Am I wrong in, in am I wrong in saying that like the Supreme Court it didn't used to feel like it was as political as it is now, or am I just thinking back in an idyllic way because I wasn't really around, <laughs> I wasn't paying attention back then. I think we were all ideal. I mean, I, we'd always hoped that right you'd have a majority of the court who would be willing to make a decision. Uh, a tough decision, not based on politics, but on on the law. Right, and I'm digressing a little bit, but I'm just yeah. saying, like, the idea of an apolitical organization is just sort of out the window. No, nowadays. It, it's not. But but certainly, I think any kind of commission, as long as it was, you know, as long as it had some semblance of independence, would be better than the current system, which is this winner take all kind of thing, where the party in control of the legislature gets to draw not just the legislative lines, but the congressional lines. Right. You know, basically gets to set the terms for, you know, for for both of those sets. And uh, it clearly just something has to give. But I do think that the uh, the Supreme Court ruling that came down uh, right around around Labor Day, wasn't it, that uh, that basically threw out... Uh, gosh, help me out here. There have been oh. there have been so many lawsuits and so many right. decisions yeah, that's why that it's, it's really hard extremely to cut. difficult to, to keep up with it. Um, um, but it, it was, oh God, Michael, do you remember the specifics? Was this the one that actually said what you just said, where it said, it said, um, it was, we will, I mean, it said that it, it is up to the legislatures to draw these districts. And you were like, and we, I was just like, that's kind of like, I actually, I was, it's like, it's kind of like asking the people who are successful in crappy country music to change Nashville. Like, why would they change it? It's working for them, right? right? Like, why would you ever do that? Yeah, I have to. I honestly have to look back. I want to say it was like, was it that the Supreme Court um, ruled that the current district map was not just a racial gerrymander, but a political gerrymander. I'm trying. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I feel, know the Supreme Court silly. ruling from June. Yeah. I'm looking at now was the one where they said that this is basically not our problem. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But there was another one. It. There was another one in right around Labor Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sorry, my my brain is mush. I can't remember. 
which yeah, one that I, was. I haven't covered this in I'll depth. I'll look it up. Um, which is why I was probably keeping things a little broader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I mean, I think that... I, to go back to your original question, and I think without getting into the details of, of court cases and things like that, I mean, you, if let's just focus on the Ninth District. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, the election that was turned over this year because of the election fraud scandal, if you look at that map, I mean, it, it stretches from southeast Charlotte all the way to Bladen County, and it is it was supposed to be a guaranteed Republican map. And one of the things that you can see in it is, it was, is when the district comes into Charlotte, and it was drawn back in 2010, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. When it comes into Charlotte, there's a little hook up at the top of it. Right. And it goes right around the Cherry neighborhood, which used to be a historically black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's, it, is, it was with, with absolute precision that they did this. Right, and, absolutely. Um, it, it, it just blows your mind sometimes to see that the, the lines were just drawn around houses. Right. Like it, was, it was truly Picking amazing. out specific streets. Um, so yeah, did you want to, just to clear it up, what yeah. I was referring to is, yeah, the, the Supreme Court ruling was in June. The, the one right around Labor Day was the three judge panel in Superior Court that threw out the legislative district maps because they were a unconstitutional partisan gerrymanders, mm-hmm. gotcha. uh, meaning that they, which is highly unusual because they can, they, they usually, you know, look, have traditionally, the courts have traditionally looked at partisan gerrymanders as kind of, you know, to the victor goes the spoils. And these were so egregiously partisan that they ruled them unconstitutional. Right. Gotcha. So, anyway. All right. Yeah. Sorry to get into the weeds on that. <laughs> no, you're, that's, just, what we're, uh, that's what we do. Um, so, moving on, just to sort of another tale, uh, another tale of two city type story that came up and I think has bigger implications um, that I did cover. Uh, in March happened when there was sort of a, uh, a a lot of attention given to a playoff game in high school men's basketball, which does not happen often, but it, it, there's bigger societal issues at play here. When Ardrey Kell was uh, scheduled to play West Charlotte High School, long story short, uh, the controversy began. It started to gain attention when the game was rescheduled to go to Vance High School, uh, where I went to high school. Um, instead because of West, West Charlotte's couldn't handle the right. Capacity. They said that the, the West Charlotte crowd. I mean, it was the gym wasn't big enough at West Charlotte to house a game that big, and a lot of people sort of cried foul and said oh, that was a horrible pun. It was not intended, but uh, a lot of people were sort of saying that's discriminatory that you're bringing this up to North Charlotte and it should be at home here, and that was sort of a minor story, whatever. And then Ardrey Kell High School. Uh, one of the star, the starting point guard, uh, had used the N word in a text referring to West Snapchat. Charlotte play in a Snapchat. Right? <laughs> we just talked today about how I call everything text. Yeah, uh, everything. <laughs> uh, had used the N word in reference to some West Charlotte players, saying he we're going go to we're the gonna hood. go fuck some in yeah. the hood. Yeah, in the hood. Yeah, in the hood. Period. Uh, next weekend or whatever, the next game, and. That was he was outed, screenshot everything, and people sort of used this as a rallying point to sort of point to an issue that we're all very familiar with. um, I think as far as sort of the resegregation of schools, as for those who aren't very familiar, two percent of Ardrey Kell's student body is on affordable lunch programs, and ninety-eight percent of West Charlotte's student body is on affordable lunch programs. Ten percent from Ardrey Kell. But yeah, whatever. I thought huge, huge gap there. <laughs> yeah, giant um, gap. And, um, it, 
and we did a whole series on segregation in Charlotte Mecklenburg school systems. Right, earlier this year. Yeah. Um, and Justin and I went up to that game at Vance, and it was tried just... Tried to. Um, yeah, we tried. We <laughs> drove... We literally didn't park. We drove through, uh, took some video of the line, and it was just amazing thousands the amount of people, people who came. Thousands. Uh, a lot of people had no connection to either school, but saw this kind of like a shove it in face. Yeah, Society is not going to fucking deal with this um, anymore. West Charlotte won handily, but I just think this picture... This, paints a bigger picture of I think why integration is important and, and racial uh, just racial diversity is because I'm not for you know calling I don't think that kid is a lost cause he's a very young kid and saying stupid things and um, I wasn't I wasn't saying shit like that in high school but I was saying dumb shit on a regular basis um, but I think it paints a bigger picture of why it's important to be around you don't want to be at a school with you know, one black person in your class. It's important to be around people of different backgrounds for that reason. Um, and this is something that Charlotte has been infamously struggling with since 1999, I believe it was, in that lawsuit. Um, yeah. And sort of stopping busing. And is this ever something that you see changing. Charlotte? Yeah, changing. Um, we've done it once, and I don't want to say accomplished it completely, but um, in the 90s, we were sort of known late 80s, early 90s, known for as a model of integration. Is this what needs to be done to get back on the, back tr on the right track, I guess, would be a, one way to look at it, uh, phrase the question. Wow. Um, <laughs> this is uh, one of the issues I care about more than any other in this city. Right. And um, it, uh, it takes a lot. It's going to take more than just a superintendent. It's going to take more than just one school board to make this happen. It's got to take... Uh, we gotta have by if if we if we want to have integrated public schools, we have to have people going to public schools. We can't have people fleeing public schools. So it it comes down to there is a there, there's obviously a massive charter school movement happening, right. and it which supported by the legislature and um, and and expanded by the legislature and really and there are it's only <laughs> increased the segregation that we've we've got. Um, so you had that issue, the, the, the charter school bill issue was going on this year too, and it involved um, the towns of Matthews and uh, Mint Hill, and Huntersville, and Cornelius wanting to develop their own school districts to break away. Well, those towns are mostly white, right. and um, whether that is the intent or not of the bills, um, the result will be if, if these towns are, you know, will ever break away, actually formally break away, the result will be that Charlotte Mecklenburg schools will be uh, the school district of color, and um, the the surrounding areas will be smaller school districts of white kids. Right, and it's it's dangerous. It's it's terrifying because I do know um, I have, and I haven't been able to. You know, I, I do. I have talked to the family of the kid who said, or who sent the Snapchat, mm -hmm. and I do know that they moved here, and. When they moved here, they were told, just go to Valentine. Move right. to Valentine. And they moved to Valentine and never get on to West, never, never go to West Charlotte. Doesn't, doesn't know what West Charlotte is. And um, not, not an excuse, but it is their kid um, grew up in a neighborhood that right. he didn't have to, he didn't have to experience West Charlotte. Didn't right. have to experience anything that was West Charlotte. And it sounds so. like this is some sort of, um, there's a history of it 
2017, RJ Hill principal David Swisser kicked out the entire student section of a football game against Huff High School after the students became overly disruptive, yelling racial slurs at visiting black middle school students and spitting on their own band players. Damn. Um, yeah. I, yeah. yeah, I wrote for <laughs> South Charlotte Weekly uh, when I was back at Union County Weekly. It's all a big conglomerate, but uh, yeah, RJ Hill is that kind of school. It just, it's that kind of school. But like I said, it is, it takes, it's, I don't want to say it's not the kid's fault, but you need those experiences in your life. Mm -hmm. And if you're just in your bubble, then you're going to be in your bubble. Well, one of the words feel he, safe doing anything. One of the words he used in that Snapchat was the hood. Mm -hmm. And um, to me, uh, and I, to me, that just showed a reflection of uh, you don't know the history of West Charlotte. You don't know the history of Beatty's Ford Road. You don't know right. how many amazing things happened on that street. Mm -hmm. If you're going to denigrate that, if you're going to say things about that street, like, right. and it's it's. It's it's truly one of the most amazing places in the city, and yeah, it, it's it's got its struggles, but we all have our struggles, and right. um, it's to me, I think we're somehow we've let the city become disconnected in a way that Ballantyne feels like a different world from Beatty's Ford Road, and it's not being you know my wife went to schools to school here, um, we've become friends with Dorothy Counts over the past five years. Mm -hmm. Um, Dorothy yeah. Counts being the one who integrated uh, Harding in 1957. Mm -hmm. Yes. And has continued the fight and continued her active role in advocacy and activism uh, throughout her life. So just wanted to give that a little Yeah. <laughs> There's an amazing woman, and my wife didn't learn about her when she went to Myers Park High. Right. That's, I didn't that's, either. Yeah. No. You went to Vance, right? right? I went to Vance and North Mech. Never learned about her. No. So what are we doing? I mean, we have to we have to start teaching the history of our town, I think, and uh, in some way, and have to make these experiences more. Uh, we just have to make the experiences of living in Charlotte more connected somehow, because right. you know, Ballantyne is changing. I, you know, I'm not uh, Ballantyne's not a lost cause, like in, right. my, in, in terms of integration in my mind. It's, it's certainly changing. They're they're trying to do some things down there, but. Um, it, it remains true. You can live on one side of Charlotte and never understand the other side unless you're going to the airport. Right. And that's, you know, we have to fix that. Craig, yeah, I, anything I, to add on that point? I, very, very little. Mm -hmm. I, I do feel some sort of obligation to point people to a bit of, of Charlotte Magazine content. Mm -hmm. there, there, when you ask, like, what are, are some possibly corrective measures, um, Emma Way, our editor, uh, did a story that ran in the September September issue, I believe, or maybe mm -hmm. October, about um, about uh, a school pairing project, mm -hmm. uh, Cotswold Elementary and Billingsville Elementary, and it, this is taken right from the era of the the school desegregation efforts right. uh, back in the seventies and eighties, and basically taking Cotswold, a very majority white wealthy mm -hmm. uh, student body, and two miles away you've got Billingsville with a you know poor racial minority student mm -hmm. body and essentially blending them. Right. And, um, and that has shown signs of working. We'll see if, uh, you know, what kind of, what kind of fruit it can bear. But at the same time, it's, it's just a one small kind of pilot project, uh, sort of step back right. to where we were two decades ago before judge Potter's ruling that is absolutely not going to, to override, as right. Michael said, the, the charter, that's the one big difference. Right between now and you know 1971 when you had the original the original court ruling that instituted desegregation the presence of charter schools right. um that is you know uh, we i don't know if we even want to yeah. go down that road. Uh, we're gonna, um, 
We're going to wrap up our first 30 minutes here, so let's not get too much down a rabbit no. hole. There was another thing I just wanted to mention. Brenna Swanson did a great job in her series on segregation that Justin just mentioned about talking about there was a gerrymandering uh, aspect to that story as well, just as far as the way they drew School certain districts, districts around yeah. neighborhoods and to make sure that, that remained that way, that that uh, sort of black and white um, uh, yeah. dynamic, I, guess, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but... One thing, one thing that that just kind of kind of occurred to me is I hate to get back to the courts again, but this peculiar round of of thinking that Judge Potter seemed to use in his ruling back in '99 on on DSAG, and it was almost the same sort of rationale that that the U.S. Supreme Court used in overturning what was it Section Five of the Voting Rights Act, right? And the fundamental argument seemed to be that that well those those measures were undertaken in order to to cure the effects of racism and racism doesn't exist anymore so we don't need those oh, things right, anymore yeah. which which to me seems like well we have a river that floods let's build a dam 50 years pass without a flood mm-hmm. oh well clearly there have been no floods in right. 50 years we don't need the dam anymore yeah. and it just it it's what is that you know these are these are you know, judges who presumably have gone through many years of law school and seen many cases, and I don't understand how yeah. they can arrive at that rationale, but I guess <laughs> that's where we are. Yep, and now here we are. Um, all right, so we're going to wrap this up. I do want to say, as much as that's an issue that you care about, Michael, I want to <laughs> congratulate you because you'll be caring about it even more soon. Yeah. Yes. Recently announced oh, we have yeah. a, a baby on the Woo. way, and I just wanted to yes. uh, put that on the record because I just learned it. Apparently, I missed it on social media. If we, yeah, if everything goes right, Garinger High class of 2038 or something like that, I'm guessing. Nice. Right? Yeah. All right, man. Well, congratulations. We're going to take a break and Thanks. let uh, Queen City Podcast Network do their thing, tell you a little something, something, and we'll be back on the other side of the break. How long do runners need to stretch before hitting the road? This is a 60-second training tip powered by Ortho Carolina. Stretching muscles while the body is at rest can lengthen muscles and help runners improve performance, reduce injuries, and recover from a tough run faster. But how long should a good stretch last? The simple answer is 30 seconds. This allows your cold muscles to relax and be ready for work. Taking the time to stretch properly is critical, especially if you're coming back from an injury. Something to note though, stretching a muscle group for longer than 30 seconds can actually decrease your speed and hurt your performance. In addition to a good pre-run stretch, spend some time after your run and stretch the same muscle groups for 30 seconds as well. This has been your 60 second training tip powered by Ortho Carolina, official team physicians of the Carolina Panthers and proud sponsor of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more training tips or to make an appointment, visit orthocarolina.com. Back on episode six of News Hounds, we covered a whole lot of stuff there in that first half of the episode, and uh, we're just going to keep flying down rabbit holes, um, and we're going to start here in the second half of the podcast with a story that I know is close to all of our heart, and um, Justin and I were there, and actually, that's when Justin and Greg met, was covering this story. Um April 30th, as uh, most people who would be listening to a local podcast in Charlotte, local news podcast in Charlotte know, April 30th, um, a young man stepped into a classroom in the Kennedy Building in the UNC Charlotte campus and opened fire and 
uh, struck six people, killed two of them, and it was it was sort of just uh, what's the word surreal to cover. I remember exactly where I was sitting in the police report, police department, as I so often am, going through reports when Justin texted me, text someone just got it, shot yeah. at UNC Charlotte, and there's actually <clears throat> completely different story or maybe similar is that there's been a lot of violence in University City this year, um, more than usual, and I did that. sort of think, you know, obviously my first thought is, oh, some, I wonder if someone got shot at a party or whatever, day party, I don't know, it was maybe around five o'clock that we started news reports started rolling in not completely sure of that for something um but then it, as it became clear i was at the police department obviously at talk asking them about it as it became clear that this was a a mass shooting that had happened at it had happened here um you know packed up my stuff and met you over there that's when we ran into greg um michael i know you've done some coverage of this of this story um am i wrong in that I thought you I just did. Gave me... I did. I wrote an essay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And that was a yeah. beautifully written, and um, just being there in that we were waiting in the parking lot across the street at the Harris Teeter, um, just sort of waiting on word. We knew that the actual incident had had ended, but nobody really knew the the scope of it yet at that point, and just sort of waiting on word. And I think all the journalists were just sort of looking around at each other without much to do, and and sort of. Uh, Knowing like wow, like this is this has happened here. It's it's always somewhere else. It always feels like it's happening somewhere else. And it to brought be, the world to our doorstep, right? Absolutely. And and seeing Malcolm Graham there, he was in the parking lot with us. Who is now city council uh, member again? It was his sister. His right? his yeah. sister was killed in um, Charleston um, during that white supremacist shooting, and that sort of even made it realer. Like he's already. He's already lost one of his closest loved ones to this, and he's talking about he's very uh, passionate about gun control ever since that shooting happened. And uh, I don't know, what what were your thoughts, Greg? I'll start with you just sitting in that parking lot, because I know we were just all sitting there without knowing much of what to do or what there was to do. But it was a very, I don't know how to describe it. It's a very gloomy feeling. Yeah, well, for me, I mean, sitting there, like in the outside the uh, the O'Charlies, yeah, the O'Charlies, right. the abandoned, the 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 O'Charlies, the former, had, the former, yeah, yeah the defunct O'Charlies. Uh, to me, I, 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 this is just me, but I didn't uh, get that much of a sense of, oh my God, I can't believe it happened here. Because mm-hmm. if there's one reality of at least life in the United States and how it's that it could happen anywhere at any time, right? Um, to me, it it kind of clearing away, you know, motive, which is kind of irrelevant, um, and, and all of the other stuff. To me, it, it comes down to one, I think, basic fact that I, I, I did write a thing about it, um, and it's, it's honestly, it's a, a tune you can't really dance to for very long. Mm-hmm. And it's this. It's that it took an extraordinary set of circumstances, an extraordinary act of heroism mm-hmm. by Riley Howell, uh, an extraordinary uh, development of a plan and a system of technological and other measures mm-hmm. to deal specifically with this type of situation by UNCC. Right. I think UNC Charlotte inarguably did a did an amazing job in the during Response during to, and yeah. after during and after and and that plan and that system worked perfectly. Mm-hmm. It took all of that to keep the death toll to two. 
Right. That that that's what it, it, it's and it's a terrible thing to think, but it's it's one of those things that it's almost like a kind of twisted triumph, right? That yeah, where that's totally the, like a, that the death toll was two instead of thirty five, right? That we didn't have a repeat of Virginia Tech, mm-hmm. uh, because that's how that's how UNCC um, put uh, started developing its plan. Um, you know, with the sending out the immediate messages to smartphones and, and computers throughout campus and TV screens, um, because at the time Roy Cooper was the um, was the attorney general, and he assembled this task force to after Virginia Tech to take a look at how North Carolina universities could, you know, the law enforcement phrase harden the target. Mm-hmm. Um, so they installed lights and they did all these things. Uh, and the system worked absolutely perfectly, and, and campus police at UNCC responded, you know, within a minute or two. So everything worked perfectly, and what it did was hold the death toll to merely two. Right. Um, you could kind of figure out for yourself what that what that says about you know, reality here, but that is yeah. where we are compared right. to a knife attack on a bridge in London. We're the same result. Yeah. Well, I was, um, <clears throat> I remember, I'll never forget, because uh, Charlotte Magazine is, uh, the sister publication is in Orlando, and um, when I was the editor of Charlotte Magazine, the Orlando shooting happened, and the Orlando publication didn't really know what to do, they, they didn't have, the, we had more resources than Orlando that it does, but they, uh, they sort of scrambled and really didn't do anything with the shooting, so I came up with a document um, for our team that day. Uh, the day after that said, if it happens here. Mm-hmm. And um, I just remember the weird, the the weirdness I felt like making that document. Right. Like, this is what we're going to do if we have a mass shooting here. Right. And, um, and, and we have to come up with plans. Like, it, and it wasn't, it was, it was not a matter of like, like Greg said, not a matter of if, but when. Right. And, um, and I remember, cause I was like thinking like, what did I put in that essay? Cause I remembered, I wrote and I remember now, John Singleton, the legendary director, died the day before the UNC Charlotte shooting. Right. And one of his movies was Higher Learning. And one of my end, favorite movies of all time. Yeah. And one of the, at the end of the movie, obviously, there's right. a campus shooting. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and I remember how shocking that movie was to me, mm-hmm. like, at the time. You're just like, what? Right. Like, how is this possible? And this was in the movie filmed in 95 or something right. like that? Like. No, mm-hmm. and now it's just it's, it's expected, and and also it, it it speaks to the largest story in Charlotte this year, I think, which is you know the homicide. Well, that's what homicides. I wanted to talk about yeah. that we've we've surpassed 100 homicides in the city for the first time in many years. Um, we had spiked two years ago. Last year was a more mild year. If that's a, I don't know if that's the right word. Um, <laughs> it was less homicides. Let's put it that way. Um, and, you know, I had seen some of the Jumpstart programs, Jumpstart being a micro-grant fund from the city that funds uh, a lot of different, a lot of small grants to different organizations around the city that work on anything from conflict resolution to just getting kids doing something else. Um, and I was really happy about seeing that. And now this year we've sort of sort of jumped back into a, just a very violent year that there's a million different causes that we could discuss and and uh, and speculate about. Um, so what are they? All? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, what? 
I don't I don't even know where to go with that, you know, um, because it's one of those things, and I don't. I, I always feel like this is sort of an eye rolling point to make, but it's also a very important point to make. It you can you can argue for both sides, but you know, someone was killed in Hidden Valley that day or the the night before, I think, the UNC Charlotte shooting, and that's in the same city council district. Is why I even bring that up. Someone was killed in that Harris Teeter parking lot just within the last seven days, um, and these people aren't remembered in the same way, and their names aren't spoken in the same way and and it's just sort of it's day after day after day getting these we've spoken before about those uh reports that come into your email address and um i used to tweet out a picture if 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 i could find a name and an age of everyone that uh you know who is becomes a victim of this uh and that just became such a an affecting thing to do because where where do you go? Like, what can you do? There's I don't know if you guys are familiar with murdered mothers of murdered offspring. Oh yeah. Um, when I covered that organization and followed them around to different funerals where they're doing balloon releases, um, which my mom is probably screaming yeah, at the speaker. Mom hates that. She does hate that. <laughs> to find a better way than balloon releases, but uh, I just have to say that, or she would yell at me. Um, and seeing this. These people who never tire of this, people like Martine Hyatt and CMPD, who runs the um, Homicide Victims Support Group, I believe. I don't know the official name, but something along those lines. People who are on the front lines of this every day dealing with the um, the effects of it. But, I mean, where... And then you have people like Robert Dawkins, who's been on the show before, who's gets brought up every time because he's involved in yeah, every he cause. Does so much. But he's doing things with Jumpstart to actually deal with the causes, but it just seems like an unwinnable fight. I don't know. I don't really have a question about that. <laughs> One of the... I've, I've tried to... I did a piece... Actually, Mike, you may still have been the editor at the time. I can't remember. Uh, it, was, it was a web piece back a couple of years ago, or like two and a half years ago, when... In 2017, when... It was already clear that the number of homicides was going to be way higher than it had been, right. and so I, I kind of looked at uh, looked at the tea leaves, talked to a couple of criminologists, and and they kind of threw up their hands too, um, because in 2017 we ended with 87. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year we ended with 57. 50s, yeah, and this year we're at what now 106. 105? 105, I believe. Yeah. I'm not, the last time I'm not I saw it was 103. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, it's over 100 for the first time since 1993, That's which it. is yeah. the record yeah. year. Um, and the, the only two things that, it, like, it, I think it's one of those situations where it's potentially a million little things uh, because it doesn't seem concentrated in any one particular part of town. Um, it doesn't it seem to be one particular criminal gang. It doesn't appear, you right. know. Right, yeah, no. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's scattered. The, only, the two things that, to me, seem to make the most amount of sense is, that, well, Chief Putney has, I think with some justification, criticized the, uh, you know, the, the bail system, mm-hmm. the, you know, releasing the, right. the circumstances under which certain criminal suspects are released on pretrial detention, and some of them are violent. Right. Um, there's always the easy availability of guns, but that's that's, that's an evergreen. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that uh, talked to a guy uh, named Richard Rosenfeld back a couple of years ago, and he brought up a theory that I thought was really interesting, and it amounts to a kind of uh, almost a despair 
uh, where he called it legal cynicism. And he looked at a few cities where you'd recently seen a, 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 an uptick in, in homicides or violent crime that didn't seem to have any explanation. And what he found was that a lot of them, and Charlotte was one of them at the time because Keith Lamont Scott was 2016, um, was that when people, especially poor racial minorities, uh, saw a, a, an example of police violence, like you, saw, you know Ferguson and, and right. things like that, they, in effect, kind of got the, the collective message that we cannot depend on law enforcement. We have to settle whatever scores we have to settle ourselves. It's useless to call the police. Right. And, and that, and he up and said, like, Charlotte is one of those cities where a large portion of the population may have calculated that don't even bother calling 911 if you're a crime victim or if somebody has assaulted you mm-hmm. in some way. you got to take care of it yourself. Right. And that does kind of dovetail with what Putney has said before about you know, young people re- resolving differences through gunfire because they simply don't know or can't think of any other way. Right. Yeah. Becomes, Which is why yeah. I've said on this podcast before that conflict's resolution is the only way to end gun violence. Right. That's it. Because if you look at it, I mean, plenty of people die from uh, domestic violence situations. A lot of it's random. You have the guy that died uh, outside the epicenter that was right. from a stray bullet. Stray he wasn't bullet. even involved. Mm-hmm. So nothing adds up completely to one thing. It's like we got to end, of course, we have to end domestic violence, but it's not like that's what contributed to 100 and some murders right. in Charlotte. It's there just has been an uptick in that as well, though. Yes. But I, that's a whole I, yeah, different story. That, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but all of it, almost all of it, at least 90% of it, comes from an uh, initial conflict. Right. That the resolution was that somebody got murdered. Right. And that's why I love programs like Jumpstart and things like that that are going to meet the community where they are uh, to give them kind of an education in that. It's always the grassroots people that don't get any of the... I don't know, publicity or spotlight, which is what I try to do for a living, is uh, provide that spotlight. But the community grassroots people who don't uh, necessarily do it, don't do it for the attention at all and are just on the ground that you need to... Try to keep people Yeah, alive. and they're always the ones who have no money, and they're the ones that where the money should be going, and that's why Jumpstart is a, certainly a good start, and they've been funding it more and more over the last three years and, and yeah, upping what did the funding. Yeah, what did they up it from earlier this year? Oh, shit, I knew you were going to say that. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a lot. It went from like right. 500000 to $1 million or more no. than that or... I think it went from 100,000 to 500,000 if I'm not mistaken but let me okay. check before. Yeah. Well, and speaking of speaking of grassroots, I mean Mike's gotten to know Greg Jackson of Heel Charlotte very well yeah. and he's a guy who just started from literally nothing. He was out there with the crowds after Keith Lamont Scott and has started really from from the bottom up. I fucking worked at Boardwalk Billy's yeah. with Greg Jackson. Really? <laughs> <laughs> um, That's amazing. So it went from yeah. Yep. Fifty thousand to hundred thousand in the second year, and then, and then to five hundred thousand. So, yeah, yeah. So they saw the importance in in what that does. Right. You know, like whenever gun violence happens, we can sit around and talk about what what should we do, or you know, politicians making changes to legislation and gun control and things like that. But the thing is, is and I've said it before, like I'm a concealed carry permit holder. I carry a gun with me everywhere I go. I've got one. Every day, but I would never shoot somebody 
out of anger because I understand conflict resolution. And sometimes that's just not taught because, you know, families in impoverished neighborhoods don't have time to spend with each other because right. they're out there working, trying to pip, I, I trying do. To I do think to a certain extent that the, the access to guns, though, for people who are not so young. Yeah, There's been, some people are so I, young and they're so easy just I've to been, carry those around and think this is how I'm going to deal yeah. with this motherfucker. Who just I've been vocal me. about that before too. I've, right. I've said I would give up everything that I had if I knew that it would save everybody's life. Right. Like, um, and moving on to another, I think one of the bigger stories of this year um, uh, to sort of wrap up is, was a incident of gun violence. Uh, CMPD officer Wendy Curl shot and killed Dan Queers Franklin in a parking lot of Burger King on Beatty's Ford Road. Um, um, the date is now escaped me. I, April, it was March 30th? April, yeah, March, March, that's right, because April was... March 30th, was, yeah. I um, And I know Justin and I sort of... This was one nope, of the... it was March 23rd. March 23rd? Oh, I wrote okay. it down before we came down here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Justin was... I know you were more involved in this reporting aspect with me and going to different... Um, whether it be protests or town hall meetings or those panels that everyone in the city loves, um, in mm-hmm. response to this shooting, and, and you had a lot of thoughts about the body cam footage showed the entire incident, or at least the incident from the time that obviously the officer well, arrived. Well, it was it was it was tactically faultful. Well, you have two officers standing on the back passenger side of a car with somebody squatted down, hands not visible. I mean, when they when they didn't press charges against her, and you look at the camera again, it's like you can't really tell if there's a gun in his hand or not. But with two officers, one lethal cover just from where they were standing with the body camera footage, and the other one taking a non-lethal route, just walking, you just take a circle around the car, right? Tase him, tase him in the back of the head. I don't know, right. you know. But uh, I did have a lot of thoughts on that. I thought it would have been, I thought she would have been charged with murder, hands down just from from everything that it looked at. Uh, I knew that eventually it wouldn't come out that way, but when you scream at somebody to put something down that they're not holding and then they reach for it and you shot them for complying, and that's what everybody is always mad about, mm-hmm. but um, something... Oh, completely lost my entire train of thought. <laughs> well, Greg said he... Greg looked like he was not surprised or did not think that it was going to end in a charge. No. Because it was, it, it, the law is pretty clear. Um, it's, it's the law actually, some I wrote about before, the law uh, stems from a case that happened here in Charlotte in 1984. And the, the case that came out of that incident in which uh, a man was not killed, but was roughed up by the police who thought mistakenly that he had, uh, he had burglarized a, a convenience store over on West Boulevard. Went to the U.S. Supreme Court, and that case, Graham versus Connor, uh, established the the baseline for uh, for. You don't want it straight. I'll do it straight. <laughs> Justin, Justin straight. I'm trying to explain the law here. Sorry, that's <laughs> gonna say fire. Anyway, it it had to do with uh, you know the the standard the legal standard under which police can use uh, potentially lethal force, and it comes down to. What's called objective reasonableness. Oh yeah, how they feel in the moment. Well, like, yeah, the well, but but at the same time, it's it's 
it's you know they they said multiple times. I'm not defending them. I'm just I, saying. I know, I know you know what I mean. Not, I know. You're not. Uh, the his hands were concealed. He made no motion. There was I think about 40 seconds from the time that they got there to the time that that uh, Officer Curl shot him. Yeah. Uh, he he did not. He did not move. She couldn't see what was what was between his legs. He reaches for something, and yeah, it, it upshot. I was like ninety eight percent certain that there was there was no way the DA was yeah. going to file charges. And then when I when I read the DA report, DA's report when it came out, it all made sense. Like I, I totally understand the law. I actually used to back police officers in situations all the time when somebody would get shot. I'd be like, you just don't understand. Like what it's like, it's probably terrifying being out there and having to be the one to confront somebody. But then you see something like that that initially seems so blatant, but then thinking about it later and like putting yourself in those shoes and then reading what the DA said about how it being circumstantial and how that person feels and yada yada yada. That was a very thorough DA. It report. was. Oh yeah. But uh, the other thing is like crisis inter- crisis intervention teams had just been. Like made a thing at that point in time, and the nine one one call initially was domestic disturbance, man with a gun. They don't which respond is, with a gun though; they won't go. They can send both of them. No, I know. I'm but I guess saying, it really didn't matter policy. because it was only like forty seconds on scene before he got shot. So if Wendy right. and Larry Deal were the first ones that showed up, and the crisis intervention team was on their way, he'd have been dead by the time they got right. there anyway. So I well, mean, but you, you can't change the past. That's the thing. And she obviously didn't get charged uh, for uh, for probably good reason, right? But and rejoined the force. Yeah, it, it seemed to me, and Michael, mm-hmm. this is actually we, you and I met. Uh, we'd known each other on social media a little bit, but we met during the Charlotte uprising uh, mm-hmm. in person, um, talking about the Orioles and Red Sox <laughs> um, as right we were. Everything happened, right? Fuck um, the Red Sox and. Uh, <laughs> Where was I going with this? Oh, with the community response to this, I just felt when I see, when I watch the video of, well, I guess the video of Keith Lamont Scott was irrelevant to the response because the response was immediate. Um, but I was just sort of, I'm surprised that the response to Dan Chris Franklin's shooting sort of tampered, tapered off the way it did. Well, I think in the years since, uh, we've seen... CMPD effectively um, create community leaders in different neighborhoods. And so the protests happened in each neighborhood. There was a protest right. in Belmont. There was a protest in university. Like, so they, they were spread out. They weren't, no, nobody said, like, everybody, let's go downtown. Mm-hmm. So, like, the, there were protests, and there may have been, you know, certain percentage close to the same number of people that protested Keith Scott on the first night. But it was not the same place, right? And I think that's what we saw. I mean, it looked tamped down, but there were you know, all of a sudden it became it was it was weird because it all of a sudden it w- what was an what could have been and maybe should have been in the eyes of many an angry protest, an angry night mm-hmm. turned into like there was like a cookout and coming together and yeah. stuff like yeah. that. Um, it surprised me. Really and you can argue one way or the other whether that's the best way or not. And right, and there was uh, the church. Uh, did you come with me, Justin? There was a meeting, there was a town hall meeting that Kerr Putney called at a church mm-hmm. on Beatty's Ford just it a was block friendship, or two away. It was a friendship, friendship missionary yeah. Baptist right. up there. And I thought that went very well. <laughs> um, Aside seemed, from uh, Andrew... Andrew. Oh, wait. What's his name? Andrew... Oh, shit. 
The guy that we... With the, what do you look like? What does he do? The guy the, with the pizza peel. The pizza peel guy. Oh, oh Andrew... Um, Shit. <laughs> trying to remember his last name. Woods. Yeah. Yes. Andrew Woods. Um, yeah, and there were protests there, and that's good. There, there should be people raising their voices and, and, and making themselves known in there. Um, but it seemed to me that, that the community members who lived around that area and who were there were able to, to open up a line of communication as opposed to it appearing like the police department was locked, you know, going into hiding. Well, that open line of communication is hard to keep open because you have that open line of communication in that room, at that forum, at that public meeting, but you probably just can't call it right. Kerr Putney on well, the phone and be like, I forgot to tell you that this is how I felt about this. Right. Well, <laughs> that yeah, him being out there is makes a difference, I think. Um, but that reminds me of... Another story that's sort of related to this is how uh, DA Spencer Merriweather, who, just so I can throw as many news stories in here as I can, who yeah. recently has announced that he's not going to be running for re-election, but he had, he's recently, I don't know, oh, really? a month to two ago, month to two ago, has said that, uh, has ordered the SBI to investigate all CMPD-involved shootings, which is already the run, this is already the policy for surrounding a lot uh, of other places yeah, yeah towns in mecklenburg county that aren't charlotte um but i can definitely see already the effect on the recent shooting involving the epicenter. A, yeah there was yeah. an epicenter shooting w- involving a cmpd officer Two. And all signs from the report that was very not detailed point to that the officers were doing the shooting and there's just no info and cmpd as you guys know um, is very usually up until now when the SBI and by SBI I just want to say State Bureau of Inf- Investigations. Now that the SBI is in charge, CMPD has sort of kept that all very close to the chest, so as to let them do their investigation. And and how long ago was that? It was about a, a month ago. A month ago, yeah. yeah. And, we and there's still, still no anything. info whatsoever um, about it. And I know that that's our job as reporters, so <laughs> I shouldn't sit here and wait for CMPD's uh, thing, but. I haven't heard any family members involved. I haven't heard of anyone talking anything about it. So maybe that's a plus for CMPD. Uh, um, for the department. I mean, right. I, I would I would just caution again. I mean, I, I certainly see where the DA was coming from. I, mm-hmm. I, I think Spencer's a very thoughtful person. I don't think anybody would ever doubt that. But I think one of our, our counterparts to the South, North South Carolina, um, if the Charleston Post and Courier did a big series on sled the um the state bureau down there and just how many of the cases that came back like you had officers shooting at people driving away down there and as long as the officer said i fear for my life sled was like that's fine right and and it took a lot of uh it took the charleston post and courier had to basically camp out in columbia and get a bunch of records to make Mm -hmm. that happen and and it was a big just database that they pulled together on police shootings over the years. And there's a danger in having the state take this over. I mean, there is, there's a certain downside to it because, um, they're less close to it. They're not, you know, it's, 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 I don't know. I, 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 some, there's a part of me that says like, let's deal with it at the community level. Right. But there's also a part of it that says like, well, if nobody trusts what CMPD says, like we got to deal with it at another level. I don't know. It's part of the journalist part of me, at least, not that I just take everything that CMPD says at face value, because that would be dangerous as a journalist in general, but this journalist part of me at least wants their version of the story yeah. right away, oh, as, yeah. if we, as we've always gotten it. And now that it's gone, it's like, well, shit, I'm, 
like this is going to sound like I'm making a joke out of a dark subject, but like now I have to go do real reporting. <laughs> like, and um, but in all seriousness, having that starting point of what the context is of what they're saying happened was certainly helpful. But then at the same time, when Meriwether made that announcement, and I said, "Well, that makes perfect sense." Yeah. So I do want to get. I want to. I want to touch on what you just said about reporting and our job on this. Um, there is. I was talking to Eli Portillo the other night about this, and um, we had 103 murders this year, mm-hmm. and we saw stories written about the two. We saw extensive stories written about the two UNC Charlotte kids who died, uh, Don Queers Franklin, the woman who died uh, on North Tryon Street in Crossfire. Mm-hmm. Um, how many others did we see? And I, I've wondered about that, like what our role as uh, newspaper news organizations in Charlotte, storytelling right. organizations in Charlotte, has been. We're like, I get the news releases on Thanksgiving, and I'm like, I can't, I can't think about. Like, it's 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 too hard. Like, yep, I remember. <laughs> yep, and you're like, but it is our is is it our job to like humanize every person who right. is killed in a, in a murder in Charlotte? Like, and it's somebody's and, job, right? Like, you and did it for a year, right? And I do it <laughs> in the weekly news roundup every week, every and Saturday. I try to, um, yeah. Please read the weekly news roundup because I'm very proud of it. Nobody, <laughs> nobody seems to care. <laughs> yeah, because nobody reads the website. No, I know. I'm that's what I'm saying. Features I'm not, on these people. And yeah, that's what I mean. Is there are so many stories there, and every single one of those murders has a such a huge ripple effect in the community, and it's touching so many other people. Um, that you're absolutely right. I, I. And it's almost like the observer wanna... used to have enemy crime reporters that would have done right. That's like, what I mean. Yeah. There's who has the yeah. time now because right. who well, has the staff like, to do it, that? Yeah, it would like, take. It, it would take. To... Good. <laughs> if it got to like Chicago or New York City levels, uh, it would take a whole organization itself right. just to right. tell the stories of those people. Tell you the truth. And maybe that's what that would be a good nonprofit. Yeah, I told. Tell you the truth. I'm, telling I'm not even. Yeah, I'm not even kidding about this. Um, that sounds like something that could be founded by a Knight Foundation grant. Right. Like, it's literally... I almost hate to be reactionary email like, me. when you could be spending Charles money... Charles Thomas, email me. Right. Uh, when you could be spending money on causes instead of honoring the people, but there's always going to be murder. Yeah, that, mm. that, that is a cause in its own way. I mean, right. I, I remember... The like, fact of the dehumanization. Yeah, or, or just the the ignoring or or the prioritization, right. more like like these these lives. We're we're not exactly saying that these lives mattered more than these other ones, right. but in a in an indirect way, we sort of are. Right. Well, know? there was a woman shot in a business parking uh, business park over off of Reagan Road about a week ago. I want to say a week and a half. Um, and just looking for a picture of her for the weekly news roundup, I ended up down a huge rabbit hole. Of it was her girlfriend's uh, birthday party, and and everyone's talking about it on Facebook, and it's like Michael said in our bubble, it's almost bringing together a few things that you've said tonight. Uh, in our bubble of not not being a part of that community, there's a whole entire story going on here, and I don't mean it from a dramatic effect of there there definitely was a lot of that, but the the people who were affected and the people who were there at that party and who absolutely traumatized by seeing this woman shot in the parking lot of a party where they were searching every person and not letting anyone in with guns and he went out to the parking lot and he came back and shot her in the parking lot as soon as she walked out the door and there's and then that's the the drama the tv aspect of it but this this stuff that i was seeing people say about what they she meant to their lives was just this, this rabbit hole that i was down and i couldn't get out because it was so thought it was just so Nobody knows that. They just see it on the news. They just 
if you're a journalist, you just get that email and you see that. Or if you are a person, you might catch it on the news if you happen to watch the news at night. And no one knows that entire web of lives that that woman herself had affected and will affect now that she's gone. 105, if we say it's 105, 105 murders, that's, you know. It's a lot uh, of those How stories. many people are around those 105 people, like, were affected right. by it, who went to bed that night with either just bawling or right. with a sick pit in their stomach? There are thousands. Right. We have thousands of people yeah. in our community who've been dealing well, with this. We got to wrap up. And a, well, a brief, a brief, brief bit of perspective. I, I found this. Um, Say something this positive, Greg. I'm begging you to end oh, this sure, thing positively. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, you all, you all know my, my hometown's New Orleans. Uh, this oh, is a. Um, if you say a Saints thing, I'm gonna fucking. No, no, it's not. <laughs> no, 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 it's not gonna be a Saints thing. I promise. It's a headline from uh, from January 3rd of this year, 2019. Headline from uh, NOLA.com. New Orleans ends 2018 with 146 murders. Fewest in nearly half a century. Oh yeah, it does put things in perspective. And, <laughs> and are and they bigger population-wise? Well, uh, much smaller. Much smaller. That's what I thought. Much smaller. Um, Justin, do you have any crazy news stories that you wanted to quickly wrap up? I do. We've been talking about a lot of shooting, and now I want to talk about running. Okay. So I'm going to do my best to pronounce this. Uh, in Rear KP, <laughs> far north. It's a far north Russian village. Uh, more than, f- you don't mind? Oh, he might. Uh, let, me, yeah. let me try. Let me give this a shot. What is this? this? Sounds like Greg's got some Russian there. background. Uh, hang on, hang on. Oh boy. <laughs> nope. Okay. No, I can even try. try. I'm just gonna spell it. R Y R K A Y P I Y. It's a far north Russian village, and it's currently being overrun by polar bears. More than 50 polar bears have moved into town, uh, causing schools to go on lockdown and being guarded by police. So the bears can't get in there. Is there a Coca-Cola warehouse uh, in, this, uh, <laughs> in this town? No, no, no. <laughs> um, all public activities have been canceled. Schools are being guarded. Um, everything's being shut down. So climate, it, experts say it's due to climate change. Obviously, they're moving north. They usually, they generally live 2.4 miles away on an north. island just, just north of far north Russia. So far, far north Russia. And uh, they're they're saying that the whole town should be evacuated forever. Whoa. That people shouldn't live there anymore. The polar bears yeah, are give ne- it to the polar bears. Polar bears are never awesome. going back. The town is the it's a settlement, really. It's that's not how even you a deal town. with displacement. Give there's them, only give, people, yeah. <laughs> give them polar bears. Yeah. So you no, get, give, so only, <laughs> give the people being displaced the town. There's there's <laughs> only seven there's only seven hundred people that live there. So the my question is, if polar bears were moving to Charlotte. Would you guys leave? I would pet I, them and then yes. leave. I have such a, a idiotic... They're dangerous. Uh, yeah, idyllic. You would write like, a story about gentrification. White polar bears. <laughs> polar bears are the whitest of the bears. <laughs> well, uh, bring us out on something positive, Michael. What are you looking forward to in 2020? I, well, I guess I know the answer to that. We. Yeah, well, it's the baby, fatherhood. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm having a baby. He's uh, not even showing yet. I am <laughs> looking forward to the Orioles maybe winning 50 oh, games yes, this that's year. Not gonna happen. <laughs> oh, 50. Okay, you're being reasonable. 50, so less than half. Greg, what are you looking forward to in 2020? Uh, what's the day of the Super Bowl that the Saints are going to win? Oh, Jesus oh, Christ, wow. you guys! Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, wow. I'm looking forward to the cover that we put out. Before the RNC gets here. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm just yeah. Stop oh, thinking Lord. about what we're going to put on that cover. All right. 
Well, we're going to wrap up here. It's been episode. No, we're going to be talking about this. I don't have any idea yet. You're not going to ask me what I'm looking oh, forward to? Oh, yeah, yeah, to? absolutely. Sorry. No, forget it. Go I ahead. got distracted. What are you nope, looking forward to? Forget polar it. bears? <laughs> That's terrifying. What is it? What are you looking forward to? Um, wow, I guess I'm not. Okay. Well, then Work. Justin has a negative aspect on 2020. <laughs> well, it's times like this when I think of one of my favorite uh, George Carlin quotes. We're all fucked. It yes. helps to remember that. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, that was yeah. episode six. I had a great time. I really appreciate you guys coming in. And... Yeah. Uh, We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks. That was fun.